This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Business Made Simple, hosted by Donald Miller and brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Business Made Simple takes the mystery out of growing your business. Longtime listeners will know that Donald Miller's been on this show at least a couple times. There's a recent episode I want to point out, how to make money with your current products. Man, such an important lesson about leveraging what you've already done to get more from it. Listen to Business Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Daniel Pink. He is the author of five New York Times bestsellers, including his latest, The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. His other books include the New York Times bestsellers, When and A Whole New Mind, as well as the number one New York Times bestsellers, Drive and To Sell is Human. His books have won multiple awards, have been translated into 40 two languages and have sold millions of copies around the world. He lives in DC with his family. So welcome to the show, Dan. I should say welcome back. Yeah, no, I don't know. How many times is this now, John? It's like I'm five gonna or go, five. I'm going to, yeah, at least. I mean, like I yeah. didn't mention Johnny Bunko, but you know, you were <laughs> I was, that. Yeah, I was thinking as I, as I was look, put, putting together my to-do list for the day and like what kind of appointments I had, I was saying, geez, Louise, I think I, this is like the fifth time I've been on Jansen's <laughs> show. So yeah. I think the sixth time I get a free bagel, isn't That's that how right. it works with you? Actually, let's, yo, know, I like that idea. Let's not talk about your book then. Let's just talk about politics in DC right now for the whole show. Uh, I, hey, I, go for it. Go for it. It is, I, you know, if you want to bring tears to your audience's eyes, that's fine with me. It's your show. Yeah, no, I will forego that. But some people may not know that you spent some time in politics and did some speech writing for at least one president, if not two. Well, I have, I, I worked in, the reason I live in Washington is that my wife and I came here as a very young people. I worked in politics. I sort of fell into becoming a speech writer. My wife was a litigator for the Justice Department. And then we both left those jobs, but we didn't leave D.C. And then ended up yeah. raising um, ended up raising three kids here. D.C. is a lovely place to live. And the truth of the matter is that day to day, it is far less obsessed with politics than most right. people outside of the Beltway think. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So let's let's get into the book Regret: The Power of Regret. You, for most of your projects, you do a lot of research, and you did something called the American Regret Project. I think you, I think I heard you talk about how does one really conduct research on regret? Well, it's a great question. And so, actually, there are sort of three legs on which this book stands. One of them is I looked at about fifty years of research that scientists did on this emotion of regret, and this is research done by developmental psychologists, uh, by social psychologists, by neuroscientists, by cognitive scientists and others. I also did, as you mentioned, the American Regret Project, which is just a gigantic public opinion survey, the largest public opinion survey of American attitudes about regret ever conducted to try to get some insights about this profoundly misunderstood emotion. And then, but wait, there's more. I also did a third piece of research, which is called the World Regret Survey, where I collected mm. lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of regrets from all over the world. And so that so I wanted so that's how I come at that. A lot of work involved trying to crack the code of this deeply misunderstood emotion. I'm curious, and you don't have to answer this necessarily. I'm curious if there were differences between the world product and the American product. 
It's an interesting question, and yeah. the answer is maybe. And here's why. There, there are two different kinds of surveys. The American Regret Project was a public opinion survey. And so I can make very safe claims about, you know, are in America, are there demographic yeah. differences in regret? What are the sorts of things that people regret, et cetera, et cetera? In the World Regret Survey, it wasn't a random sample. I just invited people around the world to submit a regret. Now, I ended up with a lot of them. We now have a database of over 21,000 of them. And my hunch, and I just want to emphasize that it's a hunch, I'm willing mm -hmm. to make certain claims about the American Regret Project and demographic differences and other things about American attitudes on regret. My hunch, and it's just that, is that looking at the 109 countries that were represented in the third piece of it, these regrets are pretty universal. Yeah, These regrets yeah. are pretty, a lot of them are pretty universal. Moral regrets are a little bit more complex because people have different notions about what it means to be moral. But overall, there's a, a kind of a stunning amount of universality to these regrets. Yeah, the human condition is the human condition. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so let's get this out of the way. There are posters and tattoos around the world that say no regrets. So, like, how is this a positive thing? Well, I mean, no regrets is no regrets as a philosophy of life is not a particularly good idea for at least two reasons. I mean, right. truly, one is that you you're leaving a lot of capacity on the table, and two, you're kidding yourself. Otherwise, it's a great idea because because here's what we know. Here's what we know. Again, going to that first leg of the stool. Here's what we know about regret from 50 years of, of research. Everybody has regrets. It's a universal emotion that that everybody has regrets. Uh, truly, the only people who don't have regrets are people with some kind of problem, uh, sociopaths or people with brain damage mm -hmm. or neurodegenerative diseases or brain lesions. That is like not having regrets is a sign of a disorder. Uh, yeah. It's also a sign of that you could be five years old, too, because <laughs> your brain hasn't developed. But the point is that not having regrets is a sign of a brain that isn't fully mature and isn't working properly. So that's kind of weird, right? Because I don't, you know, you were joking around about, hey, let's have this fun conversation about regret. <laughs> and here's the thing. I don't like regret. It doesn't feel yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. I don't like it, but here's the thing. This unpleasant emotion is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's one of the most common emotions that human beings have. And so the question then becomes, if something that's so widespread, why is, you have this unpleasant thing that's widespread, why? And the answer is, because it's useful if yeah, yeah, yeah. we treat it right yeah. and we haven't been treating it right. And when we treat it right, not ignoring our regrets, like those ridiculous no regrets posters, and not wallowing in our regrets, but confronting right. them, there's evidence that confronting your regrets properly can help you become a better negotiator, a better strategist, uh, think more clearly, avoid cognitive biases, find greater meaning in life, solve problems faster, solve problems more elegantly. There's a whole array of benefits if we treat it right. Well, so in some ways, you're saying it's like mistakes. They, did we learn from it? <laughs> Right. I mean, is that kind of what Absolutely. we're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so but did we, but let's push that a little bit further. OK, so what we want, you know, everybody makes mistakes, errors, has failures. The question then becomes, what do you do with them? And the right. idea that in the face of bad choices, in the face of stupid decisions and indecisions, you should simply never look backward. Ah, it's in the past. It doesn't matter. Or say, I don't want to deal with that because that makes me feel bad and I only want to be positive. That's a bad idea. What we know is that if we treat our regrets systematically, we can learn and grow. And so what's perverse yeah. about this no regrets philosophy, and you mentioned people with tattoos that say no regrets, no one, but you might as well get a tattoo that says no learning, no <laughs> right. growth, no progress. Yeah, yeah. So I want to veer here for a minute. I'm curious how you, I mean, you've written a pretty eclectic set of books. I'm kind of curious how you 
find a topic that you say, I'm going to write a book about this and then how you landed on this particular topic? Well, in general, I have to be really interested in the topic. I mean, really, you know, this, (laughs) you know, this, John, writing a book is a giant pain in the ass. You know, this, okay, it's really hard. So you got to pick something that you really are interested in and really care about deeply. And that is truly not most things. I mean, truly, it's like it's most things I do. Writing a book about it would be like a form of punishment for a white collar crime, you know? (laughs) So, so, so what happened in this book was that. I had regrets and I was at a point in my life where I was in in some ways trying to reckon with them. I was at a point in my life at the very least where, to my surprise, I had room to look back. You know, I'd always thought of myself as this like young guy. And all of a sudden I realized I've been doing this for this book writing thing for 20 years. I got kids graduating from college. Like what the hell's going on? And so I had room to look back. And as I look back, as many people do, I said, oh, if only I had done that, or if only I hadn't done that. And I realized I'd made some screw-ups and mistakes and things, and I wanted to make sense of it. And the curious thing, though, was when I came back and started, when I very sheepishly started talking to people about these, my regrets, instead of people recoiling in the way that I kind of expected, people leaned in. They wanted to talk about it. And that's and that was, it was very intriguing. And so what I ended up doing to your question about books, I was actually working on a totally different book at the time when I started think, when I started encountering this. I was working on, I had a contract for an entirely different book, a book that had nothing to do with this. And I put it aside for nearly two months. And I started doing some basic research on regret and ended up writing a brand new, maybe 30-page book proposal for an entirely new book. And went to my editor and publisher and said, hey, I know... I, I'm contractually obligated to write a book about X, but I think this book about Y, that is regret, is way better. And let me try to make the case to you that this is a better book. This is a book that I'm, that I like. I feel in some ways compelled to write. And, and you, of course, said, "Can I keep the advance on the other book for a while too?" <laughs> right. Well, what, you know what we did is we just swapped, <laughs> swapped it out. It you out, know, yeah. yeah, we just swapped <laughs> it out. We just said, "Okay, so don't do book." don't do that original book, do this book. And, you know, as long as you give us words in English that we can <laughs> put on all, pa- pages, we will be reasonably happy. It'll all come out in the wash. And now a word from our sponsor. Technology is awesome, isn't it? I mean, I talk about all kinds of technology on this show all the time. Did you ever wish there was a way to get some of the technology, some of the apps that you work with every day to talk to each other? There's just that one little thing you wanted to do. Well, for over 10 years, I've been using a tool called Zapier. In fact, longtime listeners might remember the founder, Wade uh, Foster, on this show doing an episode when they were just getting started. Now they've blown up, and it is an amazing tool. We use it to get our spreadsheets to talk to other spreadsheets, our forms to talk to spreadsheets, our forms to talk to other forms, all kinds of magic when it comes to our CRM tool. It's really easy to get started. I mean, there's no coding. I mean, there's... 4,000, I think, apps that, that they now support and that can you can get to talk to each other. Look, see for yourself why teams at Airtable, Dropbox, HubSpot, Zendesk, thousands of other companies use Zapier every day to automate their business. And you can try it for free today. It's at zapier.com slash DTM. That's Zapier, which is Z-A-P-I-E-R.com slash DTM. Check it out. 
I bet you some people struggle with like, what is regret exactly? And I know I've had the advantage of hearing you talk about this book at at a conference I attended. And it was, I thought it was interesting that you talked about disappointment and guilt and that's not regret. And so I wonder if you could kind of sum that up for us. Yeah, but that's an important, that's important. It's important to understand what this emotion is. So let's talk about, let's talk about the difference between regret and disappointment. What make triggers regret, what makes an emotion regret and not something else is typically, well, there's a few things, but at the core of it is agency. That is regret is your fault. Regret is your <laughs> fault. I'll give you an example. All right. I, as you mentioned, I live here in Washington, DC. And as we speak here on a very overcast and steamy July day here in the nation's capital, our base, I'm a sports fan and I'm a Washington sports fan. The Washington Nationals baseball team have the worst record in the major leagues. The Washington Bas- the Washington Nationals have won 32% of their games this season. I mean, in baseball, that's unbelievable. All right. Okay. So can I, so, and I'm a fan. Do I, re- I'm disappointed about that right. because I care. Okay. For whatever weird reason, I care whether the Nationals win or lose. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. The Nationals aren't going to care, but if the Nationals lose, I feel bad. Right. But I can't feel regret about that because I'm not playing. I'm yeah. not managing the team. I don't own the team. All right. So it's not my fault. And so regret is our fault. Now, let's talk about guilt, because I think that's another really good one. And let's even talk about shame while we're at it, okay? So guilt, to me, is a subset of regret. Guilt is a guilt is your fault. I did something wrong, and I have people in my database. I bullied somebody. I cheated on my spouse. I swindled a business partner, and I feel guilty about that, all right? So guilt is a form of regret. It's a subset of regret. It's essentially a moral regret typically from an action. But shame is very different. Shame is, guilt is I did a bad thing. Shame is I'm a bad person. And shame is pretty debilitating, all right? Mm-hmm. If, you know, if you make a, if you do something, and this is a big problem why people shy away from regret. It's like when we make a mistake, we say, oh, I screwed up that decision over there. Therefore, I'm a complete idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm the worst person in the world. We make these universe, we make these sort of broad lifetime attributions based on a single action. So, so shame is very debilitating. Guilt is a form of regret. And disappointment is simply feeling bad about something that's not your fault. I mean, again, I'll give you an even simpler example. Okay. So it looks like, so I was, um, so I was thinking about my exercise plan for the rest of the day. And it turns out here in Washington, DC, it, at about five o'clock, there's a 100% chance of thunderstorms. Okay. So here's the thing. I could be, I can't regret that it's going to rain. Right. If it's five o'clock and I want to go outside and exercise, I can't say, oh, I regret that it's raining. All right. I can be disappointed in that. But if I have to go to the walk to the grocery store and I don't bring in and I forget to bring an umbrella, I can regret that because that's my fault. (laughs) Well, you can also regret that you didn't go running at 7 a.m. this morning when you knew it was going to rain. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I can't run that early in the morning. (laughs) So it's interesting, as I heard you talk about the debilitating aspect of shame, I can see people regretting that they made a poor business decision. And yeah. that shaming them to the point where they won't ever go out on a limb and make a decision again. You're exactly right. You're absolutely right. And this is the then this is, and that's because people don't know how to contend with that regret. Right. So right. so they go the opposite direction of the no regrets, the no regrets brigade. They wallow in it. They ruminate over it. What you have to do is you have to the initial step here when you make a mistake or a screw up is that you there's a whole process that you can go through, but it really begins with something called self compassion which is treating yourself with kindness rather than contempt. The person you're describing there 
will often say to him or herself, their self-talk will be brutal, you know, swearing at themselves, <laughs> lacerating themselves. Don't do that. They would never talk to anybody else that way. So don't talk to yourself that way. You don't yeah. have to treat yourself better than anybody else, but you don't need to treat yourself worse than anybody else. There's no evidence that let lacerating self-criticism is, is a performance enhancer. Seriously, none, zero zilch. Yeah. What you want to do is treat yourself with kindness rather than contempt, recognize that mistakes are part of the human condition, and as we were talking about earlier, that it's a moment in your life, not the full measure of your life. And when we do that, we can open the way to making sense of our regrets and drawing lessons from them. So, so for all those people that have the poster or the tattoo, we could, we can still be no regrets, just no regrets I'm wallowing in. How's that? Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. I mean, that's, that's an actually a good, that's a good way to, that's a good way to do it. Again, what we have here is what we have here is this kind of performative courage of no regrets. We think that, I mean, people do it in this very assertive, bold way. Right. They say no regrets. They announce it. They proclaim yeah. it. They enshrine it on their bodies as a show of courage. But that's not what courage is, John. Yeah. I mean, courage yeah. is looking your regrets in the eye and doing something about that. Yeah. yeah. Turns out there are categories of regret. And you can talk about the types, foundation, boldness, moral, and connection. But I have a favorite. Can I have, is it okay? Yeah. I have a favorite kind. So, and you can unpack what each of those are if you wish, but my favorite is boldness. I mean, I think. Well, no uh, surprise. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so maybe, maybe give us a really quick definition of those four types and then we can get into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so really we talked about diving into boldness. We talked about moral guitar. Yeah. If only I'd done the right thing. All yeah. right. So you had a juncture, you can do the right thing. You can do the wrong thing. You do the wrong thing. Most of us regret it because most of us are good and want to be good. Connection regrets, if only I'd reached out. These are regrets about relationships that come apart. People want to do something, but they don't, and it drifts apart even more. Foundation regrets are small decisions early in life that accumulate to nasty consequences later in life. I spent too much and saved too little. I didn't take care of my health. I didn't work hard enough in school. And then finally, boldness regrets, which are you're at a juncture. You can play it safe or you can take the chance. And when people don't take the chance, not always, but a lot of the time, they regret it. And it doesn't matter the domain of life, but it could be asking somebody out on a date. It could be traveling. It could be speaking up or, and why I'm not surprised this comes into your world <laughs> is that not starting a business. Yeah. Yeah. Or not, you know, not taking a bold move. I mean, I look at my business and I can clearly think about, maybe this is in comparison, you know, some other people that maybe started when I did or do a similar thing that, that I look at and go, wow, if I'd have like gone for it in a certain way, I'd be there too. But I have where I will say I have no regrets. I love where I am, <laughs> but I also right. do. I do also recognize sometimes when I could have been bolder. I think we all do. And I think that's healthy. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. So the question is, John, what do you do with that? Okay. This is yeah. a perfect yeah. example. I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. All right. So I, there were so many times in my life when I could have been bolder. So here's what I can do. I can go back there and say, you know what? There were times in my life when I couldn't have been bolder and thinking about that right now makes me a little uncomfortable. So I'm going to plug my ears and never con consider it again. Bad idea. Or I can say, as we were talking about earlier, oh my God, there were times when I could have been bolder. I'm such an idiot. I'm a moron. I just don't know what I'm doing. That's a bad idea too. What I should do is say, huh, what's that telling me? That's telling me, well, it's telling me a few things. Number one, it's, or let's say you and I are similarly situated. What it's telling us, John, is this. One, we value boldness, Yeah. right? Yeah. Not everybody yeah. has to value boldness, but you, it's clarifying what we value and it's instructing us. And it's instructing us and it's instructing us to say, hey, you know what? Next time around, go for it. Take a bigger <laughs> shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
because you have demographic information on the research, do older people have different regrets, bigger regrets <laughs> than younger people? This is a bit okay. So, so in the quantitative survey, the American, the public opinion survey, yeah. I had a very large sample in order to try to make determinations like this. Do men have different regrets than women do? Right. People with lots of formal education have different regrets from people with less formal education, et cetera, et cetera. There were not that many demographic differences, except on this dimension, which is age. And it's a huge difference. And it's this. When we are young, we tend to have equal numbers of regrets of action and inaction, equal numbers of regrets about what we did and what we didn't do. But as we age and not even age that much, thirties, mm -hmm. is it start to take over in the thirties, forties, and then certainly fifties and beyond regrets of inaction swamp regrets of action. When you get to be, I'm in my fifties, when you get to be my age, it's like two to one, sometimes three to one regrets of inaction versus action, which goes to your boldness point. Yeah. It suggests yeah. that what we're going to, we're going to, over time, we are going to regret the things we didn't do. Not asking that person out on a date, not taking that trip, not speaking up, not starting that business, not reaching out to a friend. Those are the things that stick with us and bug us for a long time. Yeah, I think it's E.E. E. Cummings' line I'm sort of remembering is that we regret the sins of omission rather than the sins of commission, you know, as we get older. <laughs> you know, that, I did, but not didn't do. Yeah. But the thing about that is that's not only, you know, that's like, that might make intuitive sense for people, but yeah. we have a, but I have data from my own survey showing this very clearly. It's basically the only demographic difference that I'm willing to like go to the ramparts to defend because the finding was so strong, but it's also very consistent with what 50 years, the 50 years of existing research has shown us. But I think it probably comes down to, we start thinking and I'm running out of time, <laughs> right? I mean, whereas when we're in our twenties, we're like, eh, I got, I'll get another shot at that. Right. <laughs> that could be, I think that's part of it. I think the other thing is that action regrets, we can resolve over time in some ways. So we yeah, can yeah, say, yeah. so if I bullied somebody, if I hurt somebody or you know cheated somebody, I can go and like apologize or make amends or make restitution. There are times where you can take some of the psychological sting out of a regret by finding the silver lining in it. So it's so if I said, I mean, this is you know, it's, I said, you know, one point in my life I thought about moving to California. I don't regret not doing that, but suppose that I did. Yeah. I, I said, <laughs> if only I'd moved to California, all right. And I can say, well, I lived in Washington. Well, at least I was able to send my kids to a great school, you know. I can find a silver lining in, I can find a silver lining in that. But inaction regrets, you can't undo, you can't find a silver lining. That's why they gnaw at us. Or as one poet says, they lay eggs under our skin, which I think is a lovely, <laughs> somewhat creepy way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so at the beginning, you were talking about research that was done in all these various fields that have some relationship to mental health. And I've, you know, do you have an opinion or a view from the work you've done and now all the talks you've given and conversations you've had with individuals? How big of a mental health problem is this? It's an interesting question. Okay. Yeah. So I think there's some new, I think there's some nuance to it. Yeah. Okay. So I think that the, I think mental health is a pretty significant issue. However, this is my view. Okay. And I just want to emphasize, I'm not a physician. Right. I think that it is a little bit less of a medical issue than we make it out to be. And what I mean by that is that what I think the big issue here is that we haven't <clears throat> taught people how to deal with negative emotions. Yes. What we've sold them a bill of goods. We've said, 
You should always be positive. And we don't, and our lives are not uniformly positive and negative emotions have a place. We just haven't taught people to deal with them. And so I think that we have a mental health crisis, perhaps even a me, you know, medical problem when people get so consumed by their regrets and their negative emotions that they, it ends up metastasizing to anxiety, depression, or something yeah. that is actually a medical ailment. But you know, but I don't think that that every negative emotion is not a mental health crisis. It can become a mental health crisis if we don't tell people the truth that negative emotions are part of life, that negative emotions are instructive, that negative emotions are, in fact, in, in some ways more instructive than positive emotions, and that we can deal with them in a systematic way. And when we deal with them in a systematic way, we can live better and work smarter. And so I, I think that among the young people, among younger people, that this mental health problems we're seeing in younger people are because they've somehow gotten the message from us that they need to be positive all the time. Yeah. And th then because they're human beings, they sometimes don't feel positive. They feel sad. They feel regret. They feel fear. They feel these negative emotions. And they look around and say, oh, my God, everybody else is so perfect. There must be something wrong with me. And I don't know what to do with this feeling. And I think that's the problem. We need to equip people to deal with negative emotions, harness them as a force for progress. So I regret that I didn't lean in a lot harder to my baseball career, but it sounds to me like uh, maybe I could still get a tryout with the Nats. Well, yeah, this year you could. <laughs> and, you know, this year, this year you could. But that's an interesting that's an interesting thing that, you know, it's like the question then becomes like, what do you do with that kind of regret? Because that's not an uncommon regret. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. a lot of sports related regrets, actually, John. And so yeah. so the thing is like, OK, are you going to get an MLB contract? Probably not. OK, <laughs> but the question is, like, what is it about that that you regret not leaning into? It's like you felt like, OK, I didn't push myself to the hardest I could push myself. You know, I didn't take a, I didn't take a big shot. And there are plenty of time and plenty of other realms in which you can push yourself hard and you can take a you can take a big shot. No, awesome. Always great catching up with you, Dan. Tell people where they can connect with you and the ways that you want to. And obviously the books are available everywhere you buy yeah, books. Yeah. The best uh, starting point is my website, which is danpink.com, D-A-N-P-I-N-K.com. And there's a newsletter. There are a lot of free resources, all the books, all kind, you know, unicorns, rainbows, cotton candy for everyone, all kinds of good stuff. And no regrets. Posters. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, thanks again. Uh, always great to catch up and uh, hopefully we'll see you one of these days yeah. out there on the road. All right, John. Thanks for having me back. Look forward to my bagel next time. Hey, and one final thing before you go. You know how I talk about marketing strategy, strategy before tactics. Well, sometimes it can be hard to understand where you stand in that, what needs to be done with regard to creating a marketing strategy. So we created a free tool for you. It's called the Marketing strategy assessment. You can find it at marketingassessment.co, not .com, .co. Check out our free marketing assessment and learn where you are with your strategy today. That's just marketingassessment.co. I'd love to chat with you about the results that you get. 